Zero Hour Talks is produced by Goal 17 Media. Storytellers for the common good. We need a revolution ASAP. A revolution, baby! The revolution is going to look brown. It's going to radiate shea butter. It's going to smell like spices. And it's going to be inclusive. And it's going to provide every community with basic human rights. And that's what we need. Welcome to Zero Hour Talks, the podcast platform for Zero Hour, a youth-led, woman-of-color-led climate organization. This is our first official week of our Getting to the Roots digital series. Um, I'm Kayla Bratswit, the Director of Operations on Zero Hour. I am 18, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I am also from St. Croix, the U.S. Virgin Islands. My name is Zina Abdul Karim. I'm 18 years old, based in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm an advocacy coordinator, um, and I am Sudanese American. Uh, hi, I am Anaya Thomas. I am the deputy director of finance for Zero Hour, and I'm 18. My family is from Jamaica, but I am based in New Jersey. Zina, Anaya, and I are really close friends. We met we met each other in July of 2019. And so as I was like organizing this podcast this week for the racism dive, I thought that we'd be really awesome to like dive into racism and to define what that is and to share our experiences with the people who aren't climate activists in order to connect the movement in ways that like only our voices would be able to be, would be able to reach. And so I think like the first thing we wanted to talk about was like how we define racism. And Zena, I'm gonna let you take that. So I think it's when addressing racism, I think that it's important to reiterate what prejudice is. So prejudice is a group of people or one singular person being oppressive or discriminative towards another group of people or a singular person. Anyone can be prejudiced. With racism, that is a majority group of people being oppressive or discriminative towards a minority group of people. So that's white communities being oppressive towards black communities or white communities being oppressive towards Hispanic communities. This is also the same reason why Black communities cannot be racist towards white communities, uh, just because we are a minority in this country, in the U.S., and we cannot be oppressive towards a majority who has created the systemic structures that we live in. So yeah, that's reverse racism for you. That's why it's not real. <laughs> yeah, and like, I will like hand it off to Anaya really quickly, but I also want to like emphasize that like this system has been maintained for centuries by our country and by other countries. And so like being able to not, oh my God, not being in a position of power for centuries is like why white supremacy has been able to oppress and legitimize itself through violence and through political power. Um, And so like, I just wanted to like, further back up Zena's point about why like minority people, why black people, indigenous people, and other people of color can't be active agents of racism. Yeah, I feel like when you're talking about race, you're talking about something that's so like so loaded 
that it's mm -hmm. really hard to talk about it in isolation or without like getting people's feelings in the mix or like reaching a point of confusion where two people just don't understand each other because you have different experiences with this and you just have different levels of exposure to this topic. Um, like, because racism is so intersectional, it ties in with immigration, the patriarchy, um, workers' rights, the climate crisis, literally everything, incarceration. And it's so hard to talk about it in isolation without hitting upon something that might be controversial or hitting upon something that everyone may or may not agree with. But it's important that we still find spaces where we can talk about this and make space to talk about it. Right. I think what that really, this touches base on is the fact that Black liberation, social justice, environmental justice, immigration justice, environmental justice, these things are all, they all go hand in hand. This is an intersectional movement. If you don't uplift the most oppressed community, starting from the ground up, it doesn't work. It doesn't work out. You just have to start from the fundamentals. And I think racism is a fundamental crisis in this country. So true justice <laughs> means abolishing racism. It means abolishing capitalism. It means abolishing xenophobia and the hate against like immigrants and women. Um, and those cannot exist without, and like the abolishment of those justice for like people of color for women can't exist unless we're all enjoying that justice. And I know like one thing that really inspires me and like allows me to be an organizer is knowing that like there's going to be a lot that I will have to sacrifice like in in my privilege and the privilege I sit in and that's uncomfortable like for one it's really uncomfortable knowing that there are like some power systems that I enjoy off of that people are being oppressed by that like I'll have to let go not because I'm worried about letting those go but because like the way that I want this world to be like truly mirroring justice is so out of this world that I don't have the political imagination for. I don't even know where I wanted to take this, but like a world without racism and capitalism and like greed is just so unimaginable to me, but it's definitely extremely exciting. I feel like that's like, that's so hard to imagine just because like a lot of times when you're even just talking about like any society that's not capitalistic, it's hard to imagine a society where money and the individual isn't the center and like the focus of what value and power is. So to imagine a society without racism, which underlies all of that, which underlies capitalism, which underlies our economic state, our the way like our society is run, our social interactions, to imagine a world without racism is really, really difficult. And it's really funny because you'll talk to some people and they'll be like, or they'd say that like in the North, racism doesn't exist or they'll say we've come so far we've come so far like from slavery and then we like like we've just come so far and we don't have racism anymore and it's really really shocking to see how like people are blinded by that or they just don't experience it so they just don't see it and it's really really scary to imagine extremely exciting and it's also why I think we are all in this movement space because we know that it's attainable. Everything that has ever come about in any political system has been imagined beforehand. So if we can imagine a society, a structure, a utopian society where no one is oppressed or no one is, 
you know, discriminated against because of things that they cannot control, I think we can attain that. Got it. It's, it's a matter of ambition. I think that's why it's so important for us to be like intersectional in our activism for Zero Hour to take on a platform that is, you know, radical and revolutionary and really looks at different systems of power. Because like something I just noticed is that like it's almost impossible to talk about racism without talking about capitalism. And that's because like those things exist in tandem with each other. Um, racism was created so that um, we could use bodies as profits, like use bodies as instruments to make money. In capitalism, slavery and capitalism is a tool of profit. Um, and so I just wanted to like point that out. Yeah. I think that's why if we were to connect this back to our audience, I think that's why it's important that we hold space for people to talk and learn about racism and talk about modern racism. And it's really, I think it's like ironic because a lot of times you'll hear people say like, racism is a topic that we don't talk about enough. And it's because it's true. And when, uh, like when a group that has been hearing this over and over here is like, oh, racism an issue that we haven't talked about. When they continue to hear that like, we haven't fully, we haven't finished discussing this issue and we haven't come to an agreement on it and we haven't solved it. It's, I feel like it shuts people down, which is why we, we haven't really gotten to the point where we can stop talking about racism. And I think that's why it's important for people listening and for all people to make, like make an active point to understand this issue and to talk about it and to, see how it underlines like literally every aspect of your life because a lot of people ignore that that it's there and people just don't see it because you're not you're not forced to see it so yeah so anaya you were saying that it is so difficult to imagine a society that it isn't based in based off of the views of capitalism um and i think that's because capitalism is international all communities, all provinces and states have some form of capitalism that they are um, basing their societal structure off of. Like in that movie, Parasite, that recently came out, it was a Korean film, but I believe the director was saying that he wanted to make something that was universally um, relatable and that universal relatable quality was capitalism. So yeah. I think that is just an interesting comparison. In my family, my mom had been unemployed for, uh, I think, seven years. Um, and my father, he's employed for a shorter amount of time, but um, just two black Americans. Um, and they were unemployed because a lot of times when they would apply to jobs, they just wouldn't get called back. Um, and I live in liberal New Jersey, so it's not like I live in an environment where people are like actively discriminating and attacking me, but you'll see it in, you'll see it in the labor movement. You'll see like my mom, she just wouldn't get promoted in her job. And my dad, he wouldn't get promoted either. And they would lose their jobs. And it wasn't until that my mom actually put on her um, application that she was a white female that she finally did end up getting a job after that period. Um, and it's, just really shocking because I live in, I live in a, like a pretty nice environment where people would say that race isn't 
a looming threat that's that sits over my head and I live in a pretty nice town, but it's still something that everyone faces. So, yeah. So I moved from St. Croix, the U.S. Virgin Islands about six years ago because my dad was laid off off of the oil refinery there and oil and tourism are like one of our uh, most significant like ways of getting profit on the island. And so naturally like oil refineries are not very sustainable for workers, for the land, for anyone involved really, but the people making money, I guess. Um, And so he was laid off. And like, even besides that, like it's incredibly notable how you can take an 84 square island and make the people dependent on a source of energy and income that's also simultaneously like destroying their homes and their bodies. Um, Same with tourism, like people becoming dependent on like allowing tourists into our homes to destroy it and to trash it while like having to get a paycheck. And so it's really interesting how the fossil fuel industry will allow, will like put themselves in places that are like majority black, majority working class people um, and harm them very intentionally, very actively. And that's also like one of the ways that environmental racism like affects different communities. Fossil fuel industry will put themselves in places that harm people who are not white and affluent. Um, And so that's one of the ways that like capitalism directly interacts with the climate crisis for sure. So when my, when my family moved to the United States, my whole family is full of like very Arab sounding Arabic names. My last name is Abdul Karim. My name is Zina. My father's name is Gassim. My brother's name is Muhammad. My sister's name is Nafisa. Like these are not average stereotypical American names, white names. Um, when my parents were moving to the States, they were concerned for my brother's safety in terms of like social bullying, um, but also in terms of like job applications, getting accepted places. They wanted to change his name so that he would be able to fit in more. Um, They didn't follow through with it. I'm glad that they didn't just because that's who you are. You shouldn't change who you are for the society around you. Um, But yeah, it just shows the reality of like these, these discriminations, these difficulties are prevalent even in like your identity. Um, and it's just strange to me, so yeah. Yeah, and once you like, once you start tying in just racism with environmental racism, it's like, a, but going back to what you said about like how, yeah, some people like, I feel like, I feel like the issue of racism is most obvious to you when you're living through it or you're actively trying to see it because it's a part of your reality. But a lot of times when you, when you, talk to people who are more privileged or live in different communities, you'll see that it's it's not um, like active ignorance, but it's just something that's not a part of your life. Like um, a mentor of mine gave me a really, really good example of it once. Um, for example, when you walk into a store, you walk in, you just walk into a store and it could have two steps at the door. And you'll walk into the store, shop, and leave, and you'll never think about those two steps ever again. But 
for someone who's lived their entire life disabled in a wheelchair, they will walk, not even walk, but they'll go through life and they'll see every single step at every single door, every single time. And it's something that it's just like, like you won't notice it, but somebody else will. And it's something that we all do. Like there's a step outside of my job and I didn't notice it until it was actively pointed out to me. And that's something that that's a reason that we need to talk about racism. And that's why you should actively seek to see where racism is intersecting in all parts of your life, because it's, it's just, you're blind to it, you're ignorant to it. And it's not always your fault either. And it's, really shocking because a disabled person is not i'm not saying pe black people are disabled but it's just like a really good analogy to what life is like for people who pe are people of color i think another big factor or another big way the climate crisis is racism um so for instance anaya you were saying that Oftentimes people are saying, oh, climate or racism is done with, we've moved on as a society. We're, we're elite at this point. Um, but that's just not true. If anything, racism has evolved similar to how our society has evolved. We had very blatant slavery, um, just like owning human bo bodies as property and using them, exploiting them. That has changed. Um, in the ways where it is just a bit more subtle now. Um, black people are a bit, I think we are 16% of our population. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's right or not, but we are over 60% of prison populations. Um, that's disproportionate incarceration rates that black communities are experiencing. Uh, that doesn't make sense if we're a minority in this country and that's modern day racism. And that in prisons, the the levels of maltreatment is just just dehumanizing so there's that but also when environmental disaster comes around oftentimes it's prison inmates that are used as frontline um like like it, it's people in who are prisoners inmates who are used to clean up the mess so if it's black people who are incarcerated most heavily in comparison to other communities in the United States. When natural disaster hits and the climate crisis is causing damage to our, to our um, environment, it's black people who are gonna have to clean it up just because they're inmates. Same thing with Hispanic communities and other communities of color, but most intensely black communities. Yeah, it creates a very like, like I mean, the theory of like intersectional activism, which was coined by like, Crenshaw, Professor Crenshaw, Dr. Crenshaw, she described it as like unique experience of oppression due to various identities. And so you named most, if not all of them, Zena. So white supremacy. I think just basically it is an ideology, like a belief that was created by the founders of the United States of America. But I think that re like that turns it just reminds us how intersectional this movement is for LGBTQ plus communities, for disabled communities, for immigrants, for all communities. Like if you're black on top of being gay, on top of being LGBT or on top of being disabled, on top of being 
a woman. <laughs> like, what is going on? That's just so much. And, you know, I was talking to you guys about how, um, well, okay, so to everyone. So we're going to dive deep into, like, colonialism a little deeper, like, in the next few weeks. So basically, there's this, like, concept of, like, wealth. I don't know why I said it like that. So the concept of wealth is not exactly based in, like, cash and coins and dollars and, like, whatever else, like, forms of money people use to, like, barter. It's based in wealth in land. Like, you get land and you have wealth. And it's why, like, the American dream is always based in, like, having a big house. Because, um, like, land disparity and, like, housing laws like it's all like we all know that you have wealth and riches if you have property so that's why like colonialists and racist people are like so determined to keep minority people keep black people indigenous folks away from like actually owning property yeah bro it's like actually kind of insane yeah it's really like it's really shocking to see because mm. it's it just uh, it kind of like I feel like COVID is just perpetrating the problems and systems that have already existed. Like people in New York never had access to good health care, but now and like they didn't have access to stable education. And now you see that when a crisis is put on, everyone is okay but the people in new york who never had access to these things like there's not really much you can do at this point to fix the issue when it's already too late and you're already in crisis mode um and yeah it's really scary like like living next door to like i'm 15 minutes away from new york city and new york city like literally like the guard is there with guns to keep you in your house and in your house there's no food in your house, like, there might be a sick person and that person can't get out to get to the hospital because who has a car in New York City and you're not allowed to take the subway over there and who, the, the hospitals are swamped there anyways because everyone there is overpop, it's like so much overpopulation. There's so many people of color, so many minority communities and it's, there's a crisis in New York City and people are dying because that's just the way that, like, that's the way our system was built. It was built in a way that didn't, accommodate people of color and didn't accommodate people who are poor and that's just something that you like i feel like covid isn't really showing you anything new i feel like it's opening some people's eyes but it's like it's not showing you anything that's brand new yeah <laughs> i feel like most of these conversations end with that like that sucks i'm scared like whenever you're talking about race like there's nothing you can do like it's the end of the conversation is wow that stinks and what are you going to do about it and that is why when discussing how we like indigenous and african communities need to be involved in the discussion of a just transition to renewable energy because they have been doing this shit right forever since the beginning of time when we live in a society that has has damaged the earth to an extent where it is borderline irreversible the only people who we need to be listening to at this point are the people who know how to treat the earth right and have been doing it for centuries that's african and indigenous communities that's the one
that's the one. <laughs> I mean, like speaking to your point about it being enough, Kayla, like I don't think it ever was enough, even when you were able to go outside because people have been protesting for years and we still get to see the change that we need to see. So like, just like this handicap of being in your house makes it worse, but like being outside, like that didn't really do much either. Yeah. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. Yeah, like what can we do? What can we do? I can't go outside. I can't go inside. Of, I can't go outside and protest. Why? Because of COVID, and also because like my mom works in healthcare, so I really cannot go inside. <laughs> and digital organizing is like good because it's accessible, and because it's showing us like new ways of organizing under like times of crisis but it also like does not feel enough and maybe that's capitalism speaking and me being like a workaholic because of this system and wanting to like push my body till I literally like cannot go anymore but also it like does not feel enough period um and so like when we're trying to like abolish a literal system that has been maintained by a violent um, entity for centuries, like what do we do? <laughs> and it's like even places where like that are supposed to be better, that are supposed to have that like universal health care, that are supposed to take care of their people, like you'll still see environmental racism, as in like we've got somewhere but not, we're just not there. So that's the thing with like the issue of socialism. A lot of the time people are like, oh, I don't want to have to pay higher taxes so that person cannot pull themselves up by their bootstraps and get their own life going on. I don't want to have to pay my own dollars to make sure that person can get, you know, insulin. That shit is expensive. If they can't afford it, they shouldn't have to die because of it. I don't think that's fair. I think it's just like America and this, this society has always had this um, complex of like, if it doesn't affect me, it's not my problem, was what happened in the Holocaust. It doesn't affect me, so it's not my problem until it affected them. Um, that's when they got involved. I guess that is capitalism, but it's you're you're shooting yourself in the foot. Like you're going to feel the effects of it sooner or later. This coronavirus, out, this COVID-19 is only shining a light on all of the messed up systems within our, within our society. Education, no one has access to, or uh, that was a big problem for a second. Uh, access to food, access to money. No one, like this system is safe for communities who are privileged enough to not face the effects of this crisis, you know? Like with this pandemic, people who have access to health care, people who have access to medical um, assistance, food, water, shelter, they're straight. People who do not, what happens to them? It's a tiring, exhausting topic to be talking about, but learn about it. Like, please learn about it and tell people about it so that when this is an issue that 
we have to discuss and we have to actually solve it's not like coming out of anyone's ass like you get what i'm talking about yeah we need a revolution asap a revolution baby The revolution is going to look brown. It's going to radiate shea butter. It's going to smell like spices. That's what it's going to look like and smell like and be like. And it's going to be inclusive and it's going to provide every community with basic human rights. And that's what we need. Yeah. Um, what's I feel like important takeaway from this is like not even just a takeaway. I feel like if you want to do something from your home um while we are in this crisis mood like you could easily just like tune into zero hour talks you could try to get more active in an organization whether or not it's radical zero hour or some other organization or something local in your community like just try to be proactive because like everyone has a lot more time now to be proactive like you have a lot more time to not only like educate yourself about these issues, but like find out what you can do and what other organizations in your area are doing. Cause this is like a really, I think this is a really special time just because like we are all at home and not that everyone has access to like a computer and like um, the internet, but like if you have that and you have all of this time, you might as well use it proactively. Word. We have like every day of the week, we're going to have webinars, we're going to have animations, we're going to have op-eds, we're going to have like so many different opportunities for you to immerse yourself into intersectional issues, whether or not that be centered on the climate or centered on some other system. We're going to be focusing and trying to educate people in the next few weeks while you're at home. So yeah, stay active. You should check out our webpage, www.thisiszerohour.org. Um, follow us on our socials, all this is at This Is Zero Hour. Yeah, we're definitely like trying to build an army of young people who can go out there and create a revolution. Um, we have like, personally, I think we have one of the most like radical platforms like in this area and it's what attracted me to you guys. And that definitely like shows in our team. Like we have a lot of like, other like first gens we have a lot of women we have a lot of like people who look like me and can experience things and talk to me about like like racism and sexism and colonialism without like bullshit and that's like an incredibly like warming experience it's so empowering yeah yeah y'all are my ride or die for sure fight for things that matter social justice environmental justice these things go hand in hand these are our futures that we're talking about here. This is the perfect place for you. This is what we need to do. This is how we do it. Get it done. Zero Hour is one of those organizations. Zero Hour, we have those discussions. We have dialogue regarding systemic oppression, environmental bullshit. But like, we are also an organization that offers action. We are action-based. The more people that we have within our army demanding action, the faster we are to see results. All right, friends, how do we feel about where we're stopping? 
I'm feeling good. I feel like this is a topic that you can always expand more within, which is why the conversation is always so important to be held. Um, but for now, this is good enough. Yes. Awesome. Um, so we will be talking more about other systems of oppression and injustice in the following weeks. Next up is the patriarchy, I believe. Well, Wait, disgusting. I can't say I believe. It's the patriarchy. So next week is the patriarchy. <laughs> disgusting. Oh, I hate that song. That's a terrible song. <laughs> Turn it off. Um, and so... So if you ever want to reach out to any of us, we're going to put our social handles in the show notes and our DMs are like always open. Um, So I'm Kayla from Charlotte. My name is Dina. I'm in Atlanta. And this is Anaya. I'm in New Jersey. And uh, we're going to lead out with a song written by a local New York City climate activist. Her name is Karma Elsie. So thank you, Karma. Thank you so much, Karma. Karma. You rock our world.